Um, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I just really want to preach today. So we're going to just put the plate at the back of the, the table at the end of the service. And, uh, because I really want to preach. Um, I spent the majority of the last two weeks reading history and reading books that are from the 15th, 16th, 17th century and trying to understand the framework on the thoughts of people during this time because it's during this time that really changed our world and it's what we would call the modern scientific age and and I'll tell you after reading and just getting immersed into all of these resources these aren't Christian stuff this was just all stuff from the world and their view and their ideas of creation, their ideals of how <clears throat> the universe came into being. I'll tell you, there's nothing like getting back into the Word of God after you've just spent time just reading man's thoughts. And, <clears throat> and so I really, really um, just look forward to just sharing God's Word because I, I'm going to be, like I said, honest with you. I'm going to preach to myself today and I just want you to join along with me. If you have your Bible, I want to turn, want to turn or look up with me Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. These two verses set up the entire story of what is about to happen. God is going to bring into work, bring into existence the earth. He's going to bring into existence water. He's going to bring into existence life and, and land and sea and, and people and animals. He's going to do all of this in six days. This is the foundation that is built upon this story, a beautiful story of how God created this place so that we would have relationship with Him. He created us to be His sons and His daughters. And this is why in Luke, when, when in chapter 3, He's going through the genealogy from Jesus and He goes all the way back to Seth, who was the son of Adam, the son of God. You notice how it's always tied to some type of family, some type of, of, of relationship, because it's not just people. God just didn't create people just so that He could have these people around Him and worship Him. He created us with choice and the willingness to choose or reject Him. He created us with, with the ability to love Him, and He wants to love us. And so this family, this ideal that God is interested in us is the story, the foundation and, and God is a God who loves us deeply that He even had a plan together if things didn't work out. And we know that after just three chapters, we mess things up. And Eve and Adam make a mistake. They disobey God. And then you have the idea this serpent comes in and he, he gets Eve to, to uh, doubt God's Word. And... He's going to bring punishment to the serpent. And this is what he said in chapter 3, 15, that I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and will strike your heel. This is literally the whole story of the Old Testament, that God is going to redeem the people that he created because he loves them. They are his sons. They are his daughters. 
They are His. And He is going to send the seed. He's going to send the Messiah. He's going to send the one that will come and will defeat the work of the devil so that He can restore the relationship that He always wanted with us. It's a beautiful story. And that's simply it. And unfortunately, there are a long parts of the Old Testament that people look at and say, I don't understand. What's, why am I reading this? Who cares? It's because it's all about protecting the promise that God is going to save His people. This is really the Old Testament summed up simply that He was going to protect the seed. And this is why, and I spoke about this last week, how the devil is always trying to, to destroy the beginnings. He tried to destroy the beginning of creation, tries to destroy the beginning of mankind, tries to destroy um, the birth of Jesus because he knows that if he can corrupt the beginning, if he can get you at the beginning, then everything else will fail. The story is about Jesus and God protecting that seed, the offspring. But this morning I want to talk about a new beginning. A new beginning. Just as we are approaching the end of the year, I used to say that 2022 was great until January happened. I mean, it's just, it's just been a difficult year for everybody, you know? I gave it a shot, but January 2nd, nope. January 1st was good. It's been a tough year for everybody. And I want to talk to you that there is a new beginning, though. There is a new beginning. And we're going to look at John chapter 1, just a few verses in John chapter 1. But the Gospel of John was written around 90 to 100 A.D. after Jesus, after the year of our, the birth of our Lord. And it was written by the beloved John, the disciple. And John kind of gives a little commentary at the end of the book, but we're going to start with John chapter 1. But in John 21, it says this, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. And this was the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. John, in his gospel, knows that he is close to Jesus. He's the beloved disciple. He's the one that was close to him. And John's disciple, or gospel, is completely different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all center around Jesus' ministry in Galilee. But John centers his gospels and on what Jesus said in Jerusalem. And he he organizes it by seven miracles. Seven miracles. And this is how the book of John is kind of organized around these seven miracles. And what's interesting is six of them aren't even mentioned in the other Gospels. So John is really concentrating on who Jesus is. And just like the other Gospel letters, John has a purpose for his Gospel and he tells us the purpose of why he's writing this, John 20, verse 31. But these are written that they may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that they may believe you may have life in his name. You see, John has a purpose. He's got a reason he's writing this, that you may believe in Jesus. I'm telling you, this challenges me. This challenges me because do you know what the work of God is? We understand what the work of our employer is. We have an outline. We have a description, a job description. The boss tells us what he wants us to do. We understand 
the work that we have of this world and the system that we have. When I used to work for different companies, you know, I had bosses, I had supervisors, then they told me, this is your job. But what is the work that God wants us to do? You know what the work is? To believe the one that he sent. That's what the Bible tells us, that the work of God is this, to believe the one that he sent. So what is your job? To believe Jesus. To believe him. And this is what John wants us to understand, that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He was the one, the seed that was coming to restore what was lost. He is the Son of God. The Son of God. So John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. These three verses summarize a new beginning that is happening. A new starting point in our history that will change all of us from this moment forward. In the beginning was the word. And it's very important that John uses this word logos. It's very important to him that he's using this word. And I'll explain this in a minute. But in the beginning was the Logos, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now this is a very important thing because John isn't just speaking to Hebrews. He's not just speaking to Jewish people. He is speaking to Gentiles as well. He's speaking to everybody. And he wants you to know that the Logos, the Logos was in the beginning. And so as a Jewish person, you would understand in the beginning, whoa, this reminds me of a story I I once read called In the Beginning, God Created the Heavens and the Earth. This is a new beginning, but it's the Word of God. And John says that the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, this is a very hard concept for us to get over because, see, we are born as Gentiles. We're born outside of the, 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 the Israelites that were God's people. And, and, and the reason why they were God's people was because of why? The seed. God was protecting the Messiah and he used the lion, the tribe of Judah, in order to deliver that seed. But if you remember, it wasn't about just Israel. Because if you go back in time, Who was the one that God promised that all nations would come together under the blessing that would be established through him and his faith and his obedience? It was Abraham that God would draw all nations unto himself. It wasn't just about Israel. It was about everybody. But God, through the process, knows that he's got to watch over people because he's got to protect them and he got to separate them from the world that's why in Israel they had a special diet they had a special calendar they had special festivals they would celebrate because God was saying look at these people are different they're not like everybody else that goes and serves the bells and all the different false idols that are around them these people are mine and it's through these people I'm going to restore all the nations once again and so this is the story of the Old Testament In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. You see, John, if we would say whoever, you know, how we would describe him, we would probably say he was Jesus' best friend on earth. He was very close. As a matter of fact, Jesus entrusted his own mother to John. He said, John, this is your mother, woman, this is your son. 
And, and, and so, so John is very close to Jesus. And so John is making no bones about it. He says he is the Son of God. He comes out right away. Now, as a Jewish person, though, there might be an issue. And that is, well, hero Israel, the Lord that God is one. And now John is writing about this word who was with God. Okay, that's, that's great. I want to be with God. I want to be with the Father. I want to be with the Ancient of Days. I want to be with the one who has established the heavens and the earth. I want to be with him. But then John says, and the word was God. He just comes out and says it right away. You see, Jesus, when he would present himself to people, he would say that he was the Son of Man. He never ran around promoting himself as the Messiah. He would said he was the Son of Man. And I think that was for a reason. Because number one, if the Son of Man is tied to a lot of Old Testament imagery, and number two, that if you believe the Father, there's something about Jesus that would attract you to him. You see, the priests weren't attracted to Jesus because they were more interested in their laws than they were the Father. But when people, common folk, as we would say, when the commoners saw Jesus, they something resonated in him. This is the hope that I've been looking for. This is the peace that I've been searching for. This is the one who speaks with authority. He's the one who's telling me to draw closer to him, to the Father. But as a Jewish person, hero Israel, the Lord that God is one. So how, do you, how does John understand this? It goes back to the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, you see the Ancient of Days is sitting there and it's it talks about this vision that daniel has that the ancient of days is sitting there on the thrones multiple plural it's not just one throne there's multiple thrones and so the ancient of days is there and the bible says that coming on the clouds is one like the son of man so you see this picture now this is old testament and remember, the way I like to approach Old Testament is I like to take it in context because they didn't have the New Testament. Just like if, if I asked you, is there any evidence that Jesus would suffer for our sins and die in the Old Testament? We would say, oh yeah, absolutely. Isaiah 53, it talks about how the suffering servant in Psalm 22, how you would be going to death, but he will not leave you and abandon you that will not harm you. Yes, we see that. Of course we do. Why? Because that's the cross. That's why Paul says the mystery has been revealed. But if you were living in the Old Testament times, you would have no clue that God was going to send a seed and it would be his son and that he would die for us. Because if the devil knew the plan, guess what? He never would have did it. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, if the devil knew the plan, no one would ever kill Jesus. Why would they give up all their power here on earth when they know that if, as long as they keep Jesus alive, he would not be able to die for them? So these things were hidden. And so if you're living in the Old Testament, think about what you're reading, that here is the Father on the throne, but there's not just one throne, there's multiple thrones there. There's, there's more than one. And all of a sudden you see someone like the Son of Man riding on the clouds. Well, this idea would open your eyes right away because you know who are the only people that rides on the clouds? It's the gods. 
You see, because they believed in all different types of gods, the surrounding countries, all of them believed, had their own ideas, but it was the gods who rode on the clouds because you can't do that. Unless you're Mary Poppins, you can't do that. Only gods can. And so you are reading this, Daniel's having this vision, and we know Daniel is a man who knows God, he was given direct, you know, matter of fact, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, the gods live in you. They recognized that Daniel was different. And Daniel recognized that God's hand was on him and he had this vision and God was for him because remember, they threw him in the lion's den, not the Detroit lions because they wouldn't harm anybody, but the lion's den, the lion's den, and God shut their mouths and saved him. So everyone knows that Daniel is a man of God. And God gives him this vision, and here is the Ancient of Days. He's there with the multiple thrones, and the Son of Man is riding in the clouds. And the Bible says that sovereignty and power was given to him, and all of the nations worshipped him. Think about what the Old Testament is saying. Wait a minute, Hero Israel, the Lord of thy God is one. Deuteronomy 6 tells us this. But now Daniel sees that there is this Son of man riding on the clouds that only gods can do? And the Ancient of Days is there and he allows this Son of Man to be worshipped by the nations? So that's why John says, listen, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. The Word was God because it's the Son of Man that has come upon the clouds and has come here to dwell with us. It's the Son of Man. And that's why when Jesus was before the trial, they said, are you the Christ? Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And he tells this to the priests. The next time you see me, you will see me riding on the clouds. And immediately they wanted to kill him. Because this was serious. Now because of the cross, we know that it was Jesus that was coming. And we do worship him. That's why when Jesus was walking on the water, you know, that, that whole story, that how they say it's a ghost, well, that story to us just, you know, we've seen things like this before because we have Hollywood and they're able to fool us with all their magic. But if you're reading, you're reading this back in the day and all of a sudden you saw there was a ghost, ghosts do not have the ability to walk on the water. They can travel. They don't, so, so immediately there's something off about this story. And the Bible says that Jesus was walking and they thought he was a ghost. But it can't be a ghost because he's walking. And then he gets into the boat because he says, it's me, guys, it's me. And you know what the Bible says? They worshiped him because they realized that this was not just a man. This was God. God was with us. And that's what John will tell us later on, that he came to make his dwelling among us, that he chose to live with us, to be with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So, so John is setting this ideal up of who Jesus is. And he uses this phrase, in the beginning, which would draw you automatically back to the creation story as a Jew. Because see, as a Jew, words meant something. To the Hebrews, they had less than 10,000 words in their vocabulary. You know, and all through my study of Hebrew in college, and I, and I, I just I take classes, continue to try to learn to understand Hebrew as best as I can. Not because I think there's anything special with that language as much as I just want to understand the context of what they're saying. And so Hebrew is a very important language to understand to, or for the Jews because it had less than 10,000 words. So that meant that the words that they said were sincere because they had to really frame what they're trying to say. 
Hebrews understood the power of words. You know, sometimes we run across people, you know, that only say a few words, but when they speak, you listen up. We usually call them mom and dad, right? You know, or my dad, at least, you know, my dad wasn't a man of conversation. But when he said, boy, I knew exactly what he meant. Say your prayers because you might be visiting Jesus this morning. You know, I just, I understood my dad when he spoke. And so the Jews were very sincere with their words. They believed that there was actually something powerful about what they said. Now, the Greeks, in the time where John is writing this, they're completely different. They had like over 200,000 words in their vocabulary. So for the Jew, and let's just talk about the Jew for a moment, they understood the power of words so that when they read, in the beginning God created, and when it says in verse 4, and God said, they believed in the power of the Creator. They believed in the power of God who has the ability to speak things into existence. That's why Psalm 33 tells us, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By His word. It wasn't just simply a a process. It was spoken into existence. They believed in the Creator. They believed in the power of blessings. When Isaac blessed Jacob because Jacob deceived his father and and put on this goat hair and, and pretended to be his brother Esau and brought this meal and Jacob was fooled by his son. The Bible says that, that Jacob blessed, blessed him, or Isaac blessed Jacob. And then Esau comes back in and says, Dad, no, 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 it's me. That was Isaac. What about me? What about me? Or excuse me, that was Jacob. What about me? And this is what he said. I blessed him and indeed he will be blessed. Isaac couldn't take back those words. Why? Because he understood there was power in the spoken word. I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. They believed in the power of healing. Psalm 107, 20 tells us, He sent out his word and healed them. You see, they didn't have doctors. They didn't have ability to to have scans and diagnose people who were sick. They simply believed that it was the power of God's word that healed them. And I would say today, isn't it hard for us to trust the power of God's Word when we have all this capability? (laughs) You know, I mean, if you're you're feeling achy, then all you have to do is say four words, I-B-Pro-Fin. And those things will bring healing and health to you. They will help you ignore the pain. It's so hard to trust in things because we are so advanced. We have so much that we can depend on. But they, in the times of the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, understood that it was from His Word they would be healed. They believed in the power of healing. They believed in the power of victory. Isaiah 55, 11, So it is My Word. It will not return back void. It will accomplish what I desire, and it will achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. They believed that victory was going to happen because if God spoke it, it was going to be. Do you know they believed in every promise that God ever made? They believed it so much that they made this statement in Proverbs 35. Every word of God proves true. I want you to understand the power of the word. And this is why John ties the ideal of Lagos to in the beginning. Because it was there where we learned the power of God's spoken word. He's the creator He's the one who blesses, the one who heals, the one who brings victory, and the one who will prove true in everything he says. Now, to the Greek, they had a different thought because word 
that that ideal of word or logos was something different. And it really came about from a philosopher from Ephesus who believed that there was this movement, this moving of words that was, was uh, very fluid. And his, his, the reason why he believed this was because he simply said that if you stepped up to a river and you're in a river and you see the river and you're on the bank, if you put your foot in the water and then take it out and then you put your foot back into the water, it's something different. It's not the same water. It's not like in a lake. It's not like in, in a place where, where, where you know, it's standing still like a puddle. But he said that if you put your foot in a river, take it out and put your foot back in a river, it's different water. It's flowing. It's moving. It's alive. And this is where the ideal in the Greek culture of the word logos came, that it was a living word. It was moving. It was not just stagnant. And so during the times of Jesus, when, when John tells us that it's the Word of God, you would, if you were a part of the Greek culture, you would understand that in the beginning was this living Word. It was this active Word. It was this water that was not just stagnant, but it had life in it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and this living Word was God. And John is telling us, the complete audience, this story, that Jesus is the living Word. He is the Logos. That's why he says that he was with God in the beginning, that he was living, and that he has a special relationship to the Father. You know, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. That word only literally means unique, that it's not just like the son of Adam who was the son of God, but this was his unique son. This was the living word that was coming into existence into our world. He was Jesus. And I want to tell you today that Jesus has the power of the Word of God because He is the Word of God. And He has the power to create. The Bible says this in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in all these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him he also made the universe. The Bible tells us that Jesus, the Word of God, has the power to create. And I want you to know that no matter, even though we live in a national or rational time, in a scientific world where we can explain everything that ever goes wrong, we still serve a God who has the ability to create. We still serve a God that has ability to speak something and make it happen. Everything was made through him, including this universe. And if my God has the ability to make stars that are in the heavens, he has the ability to create whatever you need. You are not lacking because the creator is here. You are not lacking because the one who spoke this world into existence has the ability to speak things into your life. Hanging on my wall in my office, I'm surrounded by things that God has spoken to me over the years. And one of those things was do not be afraid, Pete. That's all he told me. Do not be afraid, Pete. Why? Because when I read that, I don't just see a little piece of advice from an unseen God. I see reality that my God says, do not be afraid because the one who can make it happen is with you. You have nothing to fear, son. And when God told me 
just two years or three years ago when I was going through one of the hardest moments of my life and I just remembered God came and just the glory of God was in that place and he spoke to me and he says, listen to me, son. This is what he told me. He says, listen to me. Do you hear me, Pete? Listen, bless my boy. Bless my boy. And he said, do you hear me? And I knew exactly what he meant because in the beginning when God said, let there be light, it was light. When God said, let there be waters and land, it happened. Why? Because creation always responds to the creator. And when God says, bless my boy, he says, Pete, get ready. Get ready. I'm telling you, I am a man of faith. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm not trying to puff myself up. Because if I wrote a book about faith, people would look at me and say, what are you talking about? You got a small church. You can't even afford a good second car. And I would correct them. I couldn't even afford a good first car. That was a gift. Praise the Lord. What are you talking about, man of faith? I'm not a man of faith because everything's going good. I'm not a man of faith because this church is filled with people. I'm a man of faith because I believe in a God who has never lied. And I believe in a God who said, when I will bless you, you will be blessed. Because when the Creator speaks, it will happen. Jesus has the power to create what you need. Jesus has the power to bless you where you are at. John 20, 29 says this. Jesus said, and he's talking to Thomas. Thomas, who refused to believe Jesus was alive. Why? Because he didn't see him. He says, listen, if I see Jesus... And I just feel his hands and see the scars. Maybe. But I don't see him. And so Jesus then appears into this room with the disciples. And he looks at Thomas and he says, Look, because you have seen me, you have believed me. He told Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed me. But this is what Jesus says. Blessed are those who have not seen and not seen me and yet have believed Jesus says if those people, the people that come after you, the people that I will touch thousands of years after you have gone, Thomas, if they believe who I am, they will be blessed. And I believe what Jesus said is true. I am not blessed and you are not blessed because you are privileged or because everything's perfect or because you have all the resources you need or the family structure that you desire and you want. It's none of those things. You are blessed because you believe in the Son of God. You believe in Jesus. And I'm telling you, I stand on that. I'm blessed not because of what I have or don't have. I'm blessed because my Jesus has said it. The power to be blessed because we believe. I told you I wanted to preach this morning because this just stirs in my soul when I am challenged by my thoughts of who God is. Jesus has the power to give you victory in your moments. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, but thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not because of us and not because of our ability, but through Jesus we have victory. We win because of him, not because of us, but because through Christ. And I'm telling you, I feel like Charleston Heston in the, in the story of, of Ben-Hur when he was there and he was acting and he was telling the director, I'm not able to, I'm not able to, to win this race. I'm not able to, to, to actually hold on and win the race. And the director looked at him and says, Charles, 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 listen. 
Your job is not to win the race. Your job is to hold on. I'll make sure you win the race. You see, God is the one who is telling us, hold on. Hold on. Because I don't understand why. I don't understand how or when or where. But I understand that if we hold on to the Lord, we will have victory in Jesus' name. And when things go wrong in your life, you better hold on. God prepares us for moments like this. God told me years ago, he told me, he says, be prepared, son. Hard times are coming. I said, Lord, I'm holding on. And in the words of Jehoshaphat, I say, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Because if I hold on to you, God, it is through you that I will have victory. Not because people know me or because I have resources or because I can speak better than any preacher. It is because Jesus is the one who gives me victory. Hold on. Hold on. I'm telling you, life is hard. I know that. But I believe there's a reason why it's hard. Because it is turning people back to Jesus. I'm telling you, money can't satisfy you. People can't satisfy you. Fame can't satisfy you. None of those things will ever bring fulfillment or victory in your life except Jesus. Hold on to him. He has the power to bring victory in your moments. Jesus has the power, and this is important. Jesus has the power to control everything in your life right now. You say, but pastor, my life is going out of control. I don't know what's going on. I'm just, I'm going through a hard time. I'm telling you, Jesus has the power to control everything in your life. Philippians 3.20 tells us, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is trying to get you to understand and, and refocus your thoughts. Our citizenship is in heaven. I'm telling you, one day we're going to be sitting around that table. We're going to just be enjoying time. We're going to, Jesus is going to be at the table. And he says, remember that time when you were all worried about those things? <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember Jesus. We're going to be sitting there eating buffalo foie gras. Because I'll never eat it here on earth. I might as well eat it there. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have a good time in heaven. We're not going to think about this time. We're not going to think about these moments. Those times when the Father sees you crying and worrying. You know, when my kids, when they go through hardships, when they cry, it's hard for me to watch them. I was just telling one of my kids the other day, I said, man, if I could take that away from you, if I could just take it away, I would. But see, we serve a God who will wipe every tear and he will restore. So refocus your thoughts. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as we, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Jesus to bring everything under His control and will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Paul is telling us, listen, we are citizens of heaven and we wait for a Savior. His name is Jesus and He has the ability to bring everything under His control. That's why we hold on to the power of the Word. We hold on to Jesus because He has the power to create. 
He has the power to bless you. He has the power to give you victory. And he has the power to bring everything under his control. God will turn people's hearts if he has to. God will open up doors if he has to. God will send a stranger if he has to. When my wife and I were first learning this process, because it just didn't happen overnight, I didn't need to be a man of faith when I had the ability to provide for my family. I'm just being honest. I didn't need to be a man who was desperate to trust and believe that every word of God would prove true because I was providing for my family. I had a good job. Everything I, I even got free food. I got free food. I, I was bringing fresh cut vegetables and fruit. I was bringing everything. I, I had coolers full of food. It was so bad that at the end of the month, I had to call up everyone I knew to say, hey, would you come get this? And people would drive. I had this one guy that flew in like at one o'clock in the morning. And I texted him that morning, and he says, I'm, I'll be there. Not because I'm, I, I'm excited about it. It was because my wife told me, don't you give up that free food. I mean, she made him drive when he only had a few hours of sleep. I was so blessed. And then God asked us to lay it down. To trust him. And man, it was like four months and we realized we just did the dumbest thing in the whole world. We gave up all of that. All of that. We can't even pay for our home. can't even feed our kids. Through the process, the Lord told me not to take a second job. Now that's hard for me because I know what to do to provide for my family. And I knew the church was small. I knew the church was, was no way in the means of taking care of us. The offering was like less than 100 bucks that Sunday before I quit. And so after four months... When we were in trouble, I said, if God doesn't change something, I'm just going to go get a job. Because i, I got to take care of my family. And so my wife and I were celebrating Christmas Eve. And four strangers came up and they all repeated basically the same thing. I have to give this to you out of obedience to God. And it was the exact amount we needed. Exact. That's why I trust my God. I don't trust him because of what I see. I don't trust him because of what I have. I trust him because I believe his word. And it is the power of his word that will bring victory and bring everything under control. And that will create things. Even if he has to bring it from nothing, he'll do it. Why? Because he loves you. He loved you too, too much to ignore you. He loves you. This is the God we serve. He is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the Word was God. Jesus has the power. This morning, as we bring this to a close, 
I just want to pray with you. Maybe you're here, you don't have to respond in any way because we serve a God who sees what is done in secret. We serve a God who sees when no one else does. We serve a God who will answer and who will provide and who will create and who will bring victory and who will bring everything under your control. So if you're here this morning and you just have concerns and worries and, and your mind is consumed by what you're facing, I want you to know that Jesus is going to speak into your life. And when he does, you better hold on because you're going to win the race. You just got to hold on. Heavenly Father, Lord, I... I've shared this word this morning because, God, life is hard. But we serve a God who has the power. We serve a God who is not absent. We serve a God who has the ability to create, has the ability to bless, has the ability to provide, has the ability to speak things into being. We serve a God who has the ability to bring everything under control. So this morning, Lord, as we are getting ready to leave this place, I pray you would burn deep in their heart that you are with them and that they can trust that every promise you've ever spoken will be fulfilled because you are not a God who lies. That they can go knowing that the power of the word is with them the power of jesus is with them and that it is through jesus they will get victory through these moments that they face i pray god that you would provide healing i pray you would provide finances i pray you would provide re restoration and relationships i pray that you would provide resources i pray that you would provide health whatever they need god would you just please do it in the name of jesus i pray and God, may we see victory. May we see blessings. May we see it, Lord, even this week, even today. So, Father, love you so much. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, I want you to know that just get into his word. Just get into his word. And when you read it, you just believe it. And you hold on to it. Because I am foolish enough to believe that God is still God. Would you believe with me?